today in a very practical sense. We're going to look at four different things uh, that pertain to our walk in Jesus Christ. As we claim to be followers of Jesus, if we're a disciple of Jesus Christ, or if we just call ourselves a Christian, what that means for our life, four things we're going to take a look at today. So if you're a note taker, going to be a ton of scripture today. We're just going to let the word of God speak this morning. But there are four specific things if you want to take some note and, and, and we'll, we'll point those out in time. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and get into it today. So if you remember last week, what we talked about was Jesus had a moment on the mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. He took them up on the mountain and Jesus was transfigured before them, right? So emanating his heavenly glory before their eyes. And Elijah and Moses showed up on the scene as well, giving us an, an indication of that glory that Jesus has and that we will one day receive in eternity. But ultimately, as he came, they came back down from the mountain and, and interacted with people again in the scribes and a boy was brought before Jesus and he was afflicted by a demon and it was causing him harm. It was causing him pain. And his father was crying out to Jesus saying, if you can do anything, help my son. And it came down to a lesson about not if Christ can do anything, Jesus can do anything. Jesus can do everything. But for us in our faith, if we believe in our faith in Jesus Christ and who he is, all things are possible. And that's kind of what we walked away with last week, that sin and death will not have victory over our lives. It's been defeated through the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the grave. Three days later, death is defeated and sin has no dominion over our life. So again, all things are possible for the one who believes. And so today we now look at that continuation of life in Christ. If, if death is removed, if, if death is not a part of the picture and we've got nothing to worry about how we live our life as a faithful follower of Jesus, there are four things that we're going to look at today that Jesus will walk his disciples through that we can definitely learn from. So let's look at Mark chapter nine, and we're just going to work our way through. So starting in verses, verse 30, and we'll read through verse 32. It reads this. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And so a second time what we see, Jesus had already revealed to his disciples that he was going to be delivered into the hands of the Pharisees and the chief priests and scribes and elders and be arrested and be tried, crucified, killed. But on the third day, he would rise again. So now he has that conversation with them again. A second time, Jesus reveals his impending arrest, death, and resurrection. But again, what we read is they didn't understand. But more than just not understanding, they were afraid to ask. And so I kind of take that and I kind of believe that what had happened to Peter last time because Peter heard that Jesus said that he was going to be killed, took Jesus aside and rebuked him. And Jesus looked at Peter amongst the disciples and said, get behind me, Satan. So that strong rebuke from Jesus, I feel, I think the disciples were still feeling like, hey, we're not going to ask again. We know what, <laughs> what the response that Peter got was, and we're just going to continue on. But it was also maybe an indicator that they didn't want confirmed what Jesus was saying. But here he is repeating himself a second time and they didn't want to hear that he was going to be arrested and, and tried and killed because again, they're not fully listening and they're not fully paying attention that Jesus is saying he would rise again. 
So how important is it for us to listen, to pay attention to what Jesus is saying, to what his word tells us, especially when that information is repeated over and over and over again? You know, again, I, I, I read this and it just brought me right back to my days as a teacher in the classroom. You know, teaching American history, that's kind of what I focused on in my time in the classroom. For about 10 years, I, I taught American history. And, and the way that I would teach it, I would spend and try and cover roughly 500 years of time from early, early, prior to people being here in America, prior to uh, America being established, prior to July 4, 1776. So 500 years, and I'd take it up as far as I could to the present day for the students. So roughly 500 years of history, and there's a lot of repetition. In order to learn that amount of information, at least at, even just at the surface level, there was a lot of repeating that needed to happen. So, but with all the homework and the quizzes and the tests and the projects and the papers and everything else I'd have my students do, there was a lot of instruction, very clear instruction I would have to give them. And I would always repeat, oftentimes, two, three, four times. But there would always be at least one, maybe two, maybe 10. That when I would say, okay, get to work, do what I had asked you to do, there'd always be one that would raise their hand and say, what are we supposed to do? Because they weren't paying attention. They weren't listening. So no matter how many times, even now, back to our story here, Jesus is repeating himself in a short amount of time, they're not hearing. And so the first thing that we need to take from this as a follower of Jesus Christ is to listen and open our ears to the wisdom and knowledge that Jesus is giving us that applies to our life that we need to learn. Because as we walk through this life, the wisdom and understanding that he gives us is so important for us to pass that on to others. Now, remember what Jesus taught early on in his ministry. In fact, we covered this long ago, back in Mark chapter 4, Jesus was talking to them in parables. And he would say very clearly in one of the parables, and the others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the word. And so again, they're paying attention. They hear the word of God, but then they let it go because they get so focused on the world and we get so focused on our life and so focused on our career and job and, and everything else that has to happen in, uh, today that we just completely lose sight of what God had told us. But Jesus moved on and, and said, but there are those that were sown in the good soil. They're the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. So when they hear the word by accepting it, they allow it to get into their heart. And from the heart, it breeds action and they become fruitful and live out their life as followers of Jesus, acting on the word of God that was given to them. And so point number one for us as followers of Jesus, one, pay attention and take in the wisdom and the knowledge that God is giving us because he wants us to do something with it. Let's move on. Verses 33 through 37 it says, and they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. 
And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And so Jesus fully understanding the conversation they're having, but gives them an opportunity to respond. So again, here they are. They're coming from this experience of at least three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, who were up on the mountain and, and had eyewitness account to this transfiguration, seeing the glory of God. But remember what Jesus had told those three, tell no one. You don't tell anybody about this, including the other disciples, until I rise again. And so you could imagine that Peter, James, and John marched down that mountain. And after they had gone through that other experience, they're marching and walking into Capernaum. Not marching, but they're walking into Capernaum. And you can imagine all the disciples are talking. So you can imagine the other nine are probably pressing Peter, James, and John. What did you guys see? Maybe some were even asking, why did you get to go up on the mountain and we didn't? What did you see? What happened? Why won't you tell us? And knowing what they had witnessed, you could maybe imagine they were kind of feeling pretty good about themselves that, hey, Jesus chose us. What we saw, we can't even tell you, but it's amazing. So you could even give them that, you know, as a lot of people will do nowadays, they'll, they'll give you a glimpse. I've got some news for you. Oh, I got something so good to tell you, but I'm not going to say anything. And so you probably, you could just imagine this conversation that was going back, but they were starting to converse about who was the greatest amongst them. So maybe it was that experience of Peter, James, and John saying, we saw something pretty spectacular. And maybe some of the other disciples saying, well, we didn't get that opportunity, but this or that. And so you get this interaction between them. So they're already not listening. They're already so focused on themselves, trying to determine and have this conversation about who's greater amongst them in the kingdom. That if Jesus was going to go off and die, who would maybe take his place? Maybe that was a part of the conversation. Who would be the greatest disciple to then step in for Jesus and carry on the ministry? They're so self-focused. Can anybody relate? So instead of reflecting on the things Jesus had recently taught and what they just witnessed, the disciples turn their attention to themselves. So Jesus needs to provide them yet another lesson. So he says in verse 35, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. So here they are talking about who is the greatest. And Jesus says, look, there's many that are going to be great in the kingdom, but in order to be first, you have to be last. In order to be great, you've got to serve everyone else. And so he gives them a visual understanding of this, and he brings a child into their midst. But this is very consistent with how Jesus would speak and teach for the rest of his ministry. If we look at the book of Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 and 27, Jesus says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And if you go to the book of Luke chapter 22, verse 26, Jesus said, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. This is the mentality that we need to develop as followers of Jesus. And I'm getting into point number two. Aspect number two of what characterizes a true follower of Jesus Christ. One was wisdom and knowledge. And two, humility. We've talked about that a lot because it's one of our core values as a church. 
to live in a humble way. Humility that says, I'm going to see everybody as more deserving of honor and worthy than myself. And I'm going to do everything I can to serve others. But this, this concept in verse 35 that Jesus uses called servant, we've, we've talked about one servant definition, and it's actually a bondservant, doulos. But here Jesus uses a different word for servant. It's actually the word diakonos in the Greek, and it's where we get our term deacon from. And it's one who physically, in all of his ability, serves others. Very similar to a waiter at a restaurant. That waiter or waitress is there to serve you, take care of you, feed you, provide whatever you need in that time for you and your family. That's all they do, right? It's that mentality of what it means to be a servant. But Jesus takes a child and he puts them in the midst because a child in that day, in that culture, was completely and utterly insignificant. And he said, as a child, if you can serve a child, consider a child, the, the least of all in society, consider them significant, consider them more worthy of honor and serve them. He says, this is the idea of humility I want you to have. And in the same conversation in Matthew's account, Jesus uses these words. He says in, in Matthew 18, verses three through four, he says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus saying? We have to become like a child? What does that mean? Does that mean immaturity? What, is, what does that really mean? Well, he follows it up in the next verse. It says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus isn't talking about immaturity. He's not talking about ignorance. He's not talking about being young or whatever else. What he's talking about is humility. Be like a child. In humble service, in the eyes of the Lord, will bring blessing upon blessing from God if we can act in such a way. So point number two, mark number two of a follower of Jesus Christ. One was wisdom and knowledge, and two, humility. Or if you even want to write in there, service or humble service. That's how we are to live our life. We don't live by, now pay attention, Listen, we don't live by quid pro quo. We don't live by the, I'll scratch your back with the expectation that you'll scratch mine later. We don't live that way. That's not what we're talking about. That's not the type of service. You don't serve in order to get something. You don't serve with the expectation of receiving something later on. You got to take that mentality and you need to throw it out the window. We serve without the expectation of return. We serve from our heart for the joy and commitment of others, not realizing or expecting that we're going to get anything from anybody except the Lord. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. So let's move on in our scripture, Mark 9. Let's go to verse 38 through 41. It reads this. John said to him, teacher, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who was not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink 
because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. So here it's almost a, another concept of humility, but Jesus takes it a step further. So the disciples are witnessing other people in the name of Jesus exercising demons. So in one aspect, maybe the disciples got a little bit of jealous, had some jealousy settle into their heart. Well, they're exercising demons, but they're not following us. They're not part of our group. Tell them to stop. Jesus said, no, that's not the point. If they're doing that in my name, Jesus says, how can they speak ill of me? Let them do what they're doing. But so the lesson here is simple in how we respond to what others are doing in the church by what they do or, or what they say. This is not a matter of greatness. So here Jesus is responding to that conversation they had about who's the greatest. He says it's not about greatness. It's not about the greatness of what they do. So here the disciples are focusing on somebody who was exercising demons. And I think for any of us today, we would, if we witnessed something like that, we would consider that pretty mighty, pretty a great act, right? Somebody that was able in the name of Jesus to rid somebody of demon possession. I think that would rank pretty high on our list of things that we witnessed. But what other example did Jesus give in the same light, in the same vein, same conversation of humble service? Providing somebody with a glass of cold water. Hospitality. In our mind, in our fleshly world, we, don't put, we wouldn't put those on the same level, would we? The exorcism of a demon and giving somebody a glass of cold water. But what is Jesus saying? He says it's not a matter of what people are doing but it's who they're doing it for and why they're doing it. Namely, Jesus Christ. The why people serve versus the earthly glory they receive. That's what's important. No matter what we do, we can talk all day long about the differing and varying gifts that we all have. And some will have the gift of hospitality. Some are gifted with the opportunity to open their homes and provide water or food and, and welcome people in with a loving spirit. And in the name of Jesus, that ranks very high on the list. Versus somebody else who has the gift of prophecy or, or exorcism or teaching or, or whatever else that the world would say maybe is worthy of more glory or honor. But again, it's who we're doing it for, why we're doing it, and the purpose behind it. God understands the heart. Man may look at the outer appearance and weigh things out, but God sees the heart and understands why we're doing the things that we do. So this is point number three. Again, one was wisdom and knowledge, what we take in and what we hear from the Lord. Two was humility and service. Three is unity. How we look at other people in the church how we look at other believers and followers, because one of the things that we may look at is what they do. It may not sit well or, or be very comfortable in our sphere of understanding of God and how we do Christianity or how we do church. And so we very easily point the finger at other people. I don't like what they do. Their worship is wrong. His teaching isn't right. Or how they do churches is wrong. Why? Because it's not comfortable for you. And so we need to be very careful about 
the finger pointing and the wagging and the talk that we have about other people within the church and other followers of Christ because all that's going to do is cause division, cause disunity. Whereas Jesus says, with the knowledge and wisdom that I give you and how you humbly serve other people, you should only use that to bring unity to the church so that people have a better understanding of who Jesus is. Nothing else. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17 makes this very clear. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. And if you jump down to verses 23 and 24, it's up here on the screen as well. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. In those three verses, do you hear the emphasis? That whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father. Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus. Everything that we do, the wisdom that comes down from God, how we serve others in His name, the unity that we're striving to have as the church will only point others to a better understanding of who He is because we do it in His name, because of the gifts He's given us. Are you understanding where we're going with this? So that's point number three, wisdom from God, humble service, unity in the church. So let's move on and and look at the fourth aspect, what would mark a true follower of Jesus Christ. So let's pick up in Mark 9, verse 42, and we'll read through verse 50. It says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is a harsh conversation. There's no getting around it. and We're not even going to try and sugarcoat it or salt it to make it more taste better, flavorful. Thank you. We're not going to do that. Jesus says very clearly, multiple times in this passage of scripture, he mentions hell. And we're not going to work our way around it to make that a little more comfortable for anybody. Jesus is absolutely talking about condemnation and judgment in causing other people to sin. So what we have to consider here is Jesus changes the conversation just a little bit. Remember, we've been talking about the wisdom that we get from him and how we serve others and how we look to others and what they're doing and saying and and bringing unity to the church. Jesus now turns the conversation to say, we also need to look at ourselves. We need to act with 
The fourth aspect that marks a true believer in Jesus Christ, purity. A pure heart and a pure mind. So Jesus just talking, teaching about humility, service, and unity. He now talks about purity. Don't forget what Paul will teach in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We understand that we are sinners. We understand that we need grace. We need salvation. Because in Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. Now, if we just take Paul's words and put it right into what Jesus is talking about, for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and without Jesus Christ, we are destined to go to hell. Because the wages of our sin is death. The wages of our sin is hell. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And I know this brings up a very huge, large, philosophical statement question that a lot of people have that aren't in tune with Scripture, that don't understand Jesus Christ or the Word of God. And that question might be, how can such a loving God send people directly to hell? We're going to touch on that in just a little bit, so hold your horses. We must recognize that we're sinners. But in the physical sense, if this were to be taken literally, what is Jesus saying? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He says it would be better to enter into life dismembered and, and lame than to be fully intact and walk straight into hell. What is Jesus saying? Obviously, he's not talking literally. Because if we understand our sin, if we understand our shortcomings... We would simply chop every single finger, arm, limb, head, feet, thigh, mouth, eyes, nose, everything would be cut off and we would just kill ourselves. But what a, an amazing picture of sin and the reality of it. Because if we took this literally, we would kill ourselves because of our sin. So we understand that we're good for nothing except to go straight to hell because of our sinful nature. Here's what Jesus is saying, is we need to look at this from a spiritual perspective. That what do the, what do the hands represent in this case? Anything that you do, anything that you pick up, anything that you work with, anything that you do, if that causes you to sin, spiritually get rid of it. What do the feet represent? Anything, anywhere your feet causes you to go. Any, anything, any path that you start to head down that causes you to go in the wrong direction away from Jesus Christ, he says, spiritually, cut those feet off because if it's only going to take you in a direction of sin, that's only leading to hell. Get rid of it. Be careful of where you go. What about the eyes? Whatever you set your eyes on, be very careful because what you allow to take in is going to settle into your mind and settle into your heart, which only breeds action. So what you set your eyes on spiritually, shut them. If it's causing you to sin, causing you to look at things from a sinful perspective, a lustful perspective, material gain perspective, I want to have that or that, or you know, materially increase and in, in whatever else, then spiritually cut off your eyes. Gouge them out because you don't need to set your eyes on things that are only going to cause problems or cause sin in other people's lives. This is what Jesus is saying. We need to 
do some spiritual surgery here. Remember, we talked about John being one of the three that got to go up onto the mountain, right? To, to witness the glory of Christ. This is what he would write later on in, in his book, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So here, Jesus is referencing hell. Has that been clear? You hear the, the repetition of what Jesus is saying? He, refer, he references hell, an eternal place of unquenchable fire. And we read about that in Revelation chapter 20. Again, book written by John. And in Revelation 20 verse 10, it says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Twelve times in the New Testament, now hear me, twelve times in the New Testament, hell, in this case, in this, this word right here, it's used. Twelve times in the New Testament. How many of those times was hell spoken by the mouth of Jesus? Eleven. When we talked about repetition, this is what we're talking about. Jesus provides fair warning. As a good heavenly father would do, providing warning to his children that you continue down this road of sin, this is the consequence. Well, how can such a loving father send people to hell? He doesn't. People send themselves to hell because they didn't listen to the warning by a loving parent, a loving father who warned them time after time after time after time. You touch the stove, you're going to get burnt. You play in the street, you don't look both ways, you're going to get hit by a car. How many warnings does our good, loving, heavenly Father give to us to protect us, to save our life, to provide us hope, to provide us everything that we could possibly want from a loving, heavenly Father? But when we choose to ignore those warnings, when we choose to shut our eyes and our ears to what He's telling us, then we are walking straight into hell. We're sending ourselves to hell. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell, and Scripture is very clear about that. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God doesn't send anybody to hell except for those whom hell was created for. The devil and his angels, the devil and the demons, not us. But you have to open your ears. You have to open your eyes. You have to accept the wisdom and the instruction from our Heavenly Father that's given through His Word and sit on it. Think about it. But some want to be so ignorant and closed-minded to what God is wanting for us, the life He wants for us that they just continue to walk through this life blind and deaf, falling into trap after trap after trap. Now, what does this mean for those who have given their life to Jesus Christ? What does this mean for the follower of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus? Well, verses 49 and 50, to wrap up our, our message today, Jesus lets us know 
kind of what's in store as we've talked about before in verses 49 and 50 jesus talks about being salted with fire now basically what that means is it's testing that is going to increase your faith if you pay attention if you learn because a life without tests only leads to laziness and contentment for a life of leisure a kind of life that produces nothing of value and serves no purpose if all you do is save yourself from being harmed or, or hurt or, or going through tough times and, and you wrap yourself in all kinds of spiritual bubble wrap and never put yourself into the world as God wants us to go, you won't be tested. You'll have a leisurely life of no pain, no hurt, no worries. But is that reality? It's not. Jesus is saying you're going to be salted by testing trials and hardships and hurt, death and disease and rioting and, and violence and, and hatred and division politically, economically, in every which way <coughs> will cause hurt in your life. What you do with it is of the utmost importance. But like bland salt, what is it good for? Nothing. You toss it out. It makes no sense to have salt that doesn't salt. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It brings preservation. Salt preserves. And so part of our role is to humbly serve others so that we can preserve them and give them an understanding of who Jesus is. Salt gives flavor. It, we let people know that the life in Christ is not one of boredom, not one of dullness, not one of anything else but joy and pleasure because of what God gives us and what he has in store for us. So let me leave you with a couple more scriptures that came directly from those gentlemen that were brought up under the mountain. So we already heard from John. So John was very much impacted through the rest of his ministry by what he saw as a follower of Jesus Christ. And now let's hear from the other two. First, James, who also was on that mountain and saw Jesus in glory. In chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And if you jump down to verse 12 in chapter 1, James says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Was James affected by seeing the glory of God and what was to come? And throughout the rest of his ministry and what he would teach, was he affected by that? Absolutely. Because he took the knowledge of God and he humbly served others to provide unity in the church and instruction to the church so that we could live a pure, humble life in service to our God for the sake of other people. And finally, Peter was on that mountain as well. And Peter speaks to this very similarly, similarly in verse, uh, excuse me, in, in 1 Peter chapter 4. In verses 12 through 13, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Do you think that moment on the mountain had an effect on Peter? I think so, because he's talking about it right here. And if you go to 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 10, he says this, 
And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's what life in Christ is all about. Is it about all that you cannot do just so you don't go to hell? I hope you have not received that message this morning. It's not about that. It's about the wisdom, humility, unity, and purity that Christ wants for our life. The four aspects that mark the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. So we need to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian in this world, because of who you know. Because of what He's taught you. Seek to humbly serve those around you for His glory. Not seeking to bring division or set others aside because of what you don't understand or because you believe yourself to be better than they are. Rather, seek purity for your life. Seek purity so as not to cause others to trip and fall. So we don't tempt others to sin and continue down that path. But to be an example that this world needs so they can see the love, hope, and purifying work of Jesus through your life. That's why you're alive. It's why God has gifted you the life he has. So that way, they who are witnessing the way that you're living your life, marked by those four things, can begin their own life in Jesus and avoid the pitfall of sin, which only leads to death, hell, and eternal separation from God. We have a role to play but we have to pay attention. Jesus was very repetitive. And so we need to pay attention. Take to heart what he's saying, the wisdom he gives us for humble service, to be used to expand his kingdom, to show others what life in Christ is all about and how we serve, regardless of what we receive, because we know what's in store for us. So we give others that hope and understanding of who Jesus is so they can live that life as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Sometimes, Lord God, as harsh and real and raw as it is, we thank you for it to serve as a warning in how we've been living our life. If we've claimed to know you, Father, and we haven't been living this way, Father, may we repent of those sins today, right now. We ask for forgiveness Jesus, because we've decided to walk deaf and blind in this world and focus on ourselves and worry about who we are apart from you, thinking we can live by our own wisdom. But Lord, we repent of that sin. And we move forward this day, Father God, with a renewed sense of who we are because of what you've done for us to be the example this world needs to see. You know, Father, we hear all, all the time, especially today, the encouragement to be the change you want to see in the world. Well, Lord, you've taught us very clearly this morning what that looks like. So, Father, I pray that we would take it to heart and make the changes, spiritual changes. Sp take on that spiritual surgery that we need to remove the things from our life that we need to remove. So we can be the example and the hope of love and purity, and service to the world around us. 
And Father, we can only do that through your strength, by your grace. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for loving us and sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross to save us from that sin, all of our sin, so we could live this life with hope and purpose. We love you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.